0: Welcome to the Ladies' Retreat. I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited to see all of you. I think most of you already know me, but I'm Jody, And I'm going to be taking us through our first text tonight, which is Philippians 1, verses 3 to 11. Before we get into our text for tonight, I just want to give us a little bit of background on the book of Philippians to help us get our bearings. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi when he was in prison in Rome. Uh, We think it was about 62 A.D. But you wouldn't know that Paul is writing this from prison, um, from how many times he mentions joy. There are at least 11 mentions of joy or rejoicing in these four little chapters. And what is Paul so joyful about as he's writing to the Philippian church? He says it right in chapter 1, verse 5, which is our theme verse for the weekend. I thank my God always, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. If you've studied the book of Acts with us this year on Monday evenings or Thursday mornings at Ladies Bible Study, you might remember the story of how Paul first met the people of Philippi. So um, if you have your Bibles, I know we've got these handy dandy Philippians books, but if you have your Bibles, um, if you could flip over to Acts 16, we're not going to read it, but I just want you to kind of be able to get your bearings with me. We're just going to take a flying tour of Philippian church history before we dig into tonight's passage. First of all, in Acts 16.9, Paul has a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia urging him to come and help them in Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. Then starting in verse 11, when they have arrived in Philippi in Macedonia um, on their first mission trip, Paul's second missionary journey, sorry, we learn of three specific gospel encounters that they have there. First, Paul encounters Lydia, a God-fearing woman who has been meeting together with other women regularly outside the city gates down by the river to at a place of prayer. Um, So she hears Paul's message and immediately she follows Christ and she gets baptized and her whole family gets baptized. Um, So then after that. Paul has a run-in with this fortune-telling slave girl who has an evil spirit that allows her to do that. And after she follows him around for a couple of days, um, he gets fed up with it, and he casts out this evil spirit, which ends up um, causing kind of a stir and getting him and Silas thrown in prison. So then while they're in prison, they have this third gospel encounter. They're praying and they're singing hymns in prison, and an earthquake opens the prison doors. But they don't leave, and they reassure the jailer that they're all still there. The jailer, seeing all this, believes and is baptized, again along with his whole household. By the time Paul and Silas leave Philippi shortly after, Acts 16.40 tells us, they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So from this little handful of converts, we see that a thriving little church has started. A few years later, Paul talks about the sacrificial generosity of the Philippian church in his letter to the church at Corinth. So 2 Corinthians 8, 1-3 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, of which one is Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. This act of generosity was one of the first recorded instances of the Philippians' partnership with Paul in the gospel. But it wasn't the last. Um, This is where we join the story. So if you want to go back to your little Philippians booklet, we're going to pick up in chapter 1. It's now been about 12 years since Paul first met that band of women meeting to pray down by the river. The Philippian believers have become so dear to him by now that they can hardly he can hardly contain his joy. So he opens his letter with this beautiful prayer for these beloved saints. As we look at Paul's prayer in chapter one, we'll see the big idea of this text is God causes growth and he will bring the fruit. So I'll say that a lot tonight. God causes growth and he will bring the fruit. God's letter, uh, not God's letter, Paul's letter falls into two main sections. In verses three to eight, we see Paul's joyful thanks for past growth. And then in 9 to 11, we see his hopeful prayer for future fruit. So you can look for those two sections as I read the passage now, follow along. So chapter 1 and verse 3 to verse 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, I don't know if anyone here is a gardener. I am not a gardener. I have enough living things growing inside my house that I don't want to have to worry about growing things outside my house. Um, But my husband is a gardener, and so some of our kids have kind of caught the bug from him, so I get to kind of watch all that vicariously and enjoy it, but not have to do any work for it. I love to watch the tenderness and the concern and the joy and sometimes the sorrow that my kids and my husband have for these growing things that they are charged with caring for. When our garden starts to bear fruit every year, I always have several little excited people coming and bringing me a little fistful of like five green beans or three little shoots of asparagus. And they're like, mommy, we can have this for dinner. And so then I have to split it between a lot of people. As Paul thanks God for this church that he and Silas planted in Philippi, we can't help but see that they are his absolute pride and joy, just like that fistful of green beans. Um, He says in verses 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I just want to pause here for a moment and notice, does anyone else notice this, how much it sounds like Paul is praying for these people? Can we check out that language again? Um, Always, I thank God always in every prayer, right? He's not just praying like, oh, I prayed because I said I'd pray for them and check it off my list. This is like a constant ongoing thing. Um, If we read any of Paul's letters, we'll see the same type of language. In 1 Thessalonians 1-2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he says, I thank God whom I serve as I remember you constantly in my prayers, day and night. In Ephesians 1.6, he writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I could just go on and on like this is just how Paul is, right? He cares deeply for other believers. And this overflows into a life of constant and specific prayer for them. Why? Because Paul knows that God is the one who brings growth. My daughter, Annis, who is eight, has a rose bush in our garden that is like her particular responsibility. Um, and she's looked after it for the last couple years. She checks on it like every single day in season, I guess not in the winter, but um, she counts how many buds there are. We're up to 11 right now. Then she waters it and she cares for it like it's her baby. And then when those roses begin to bloom, she is just beside herself with joy. When we invest in things, we care about them. And this is true of people too. Praying over other believers and over people in our lives who still need to know the gospel is one way that we can invest in others. Prayer is how we show God that we know we need him to grow them and to do the work in their lives that it's not for us to do. So next in our text, Paul tells us specifically what he's so joyful about. We've kind of already mentioned this. He says he thanks God because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Doesn't that sound exciting, right? It's the theme of our whole weekend, partnership, joyful partnership in the gospel. But what exactly does this partnership look like? Well, we know that at least in part, Paul is referring to financial partnership here. The Philippians were known for their generosity. We've already seen that. He says it again in, in our, te- not tonight's text, but in Philippians chapter 4, which Colleen's going to talk about on uh, tomorrow afternoon, right? He says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So we'll hear more about that tomorrow, but definitely there's generosity, there's financial help. But the Philippians' support of Paul was not only financial. In verse 7 of our text, he calls the Philippians partakers with him of grace. Both in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. These dear believers have stood by Paul through his imprisonment, even though there would have been shame associated with that for them, right? Having a friend in prison, don't really want to tell people, but they did. They stuck with him. Um, and they have also themselves been involved in proclaiming and defending the gospel, right? It says... Uh, And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, they're not only supporting him financially and upholding him in prison, but they're doing their own ministry work as well. These are the fruits that they have been bearing, Paul says, since the very beginning, since right when they first heard the gospel. They've been giving generously, standing by Paul and defending the gospel, and Paul gives joyful thanks for them. So next in Paul's, we're still in that first section, um, joyful thanks for past growth. We find a verse that's probably very familiar to us. Um, If there was a verse you recognized in our text, it was probably this one. Verse 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now here goes Paul messing up my nice little outline, right? I wanted the first section to be about... Past growth, and he's talking about the future. But that's okay, because what he's actually thankful for here is the faithful unchangingness of God's character. He has seen God work powerfully so many times in the past that he is completely confident and sure that God will do it again. Um, My three-year-old Freya sometimes prays this way, right? She will talk about all her different prayer requests, and then when it's her turn to pray, she kind of flips them into praises, like I don't know if she doesn't get it or what, but she'll pray. Dear God, thank you, the coronavirus goed away. And we're all like, well, it kind of didn't yet, but yay for confidence in God. Um, or she'll say, thank you, our van is fixed in time for church and it's still in the shop and we're still hoping that we're going to get to church on Sunday. Um, so I don't know whether this is because she shares Paul's unshakable confidence in God's goodness or if she just hasn't figured out past and present tense yet. <laughs> but what Paul is saying here is definitely more than that. He is hitting on the big idea of our text. It's God who causes growth, and he will bring the fruit. Paul knows what every good gardener knows. You can plant the seed and water it and fertilize it and tend it all you want, but if God doesn't cause it to grow and bear fruit, you are not going to have any fruit. We can't do that part. (laughs) We can partner with it, but we can't make it happen. But praise God that he does bring fruit, both literal fruit and spiritual fruit. I wonder if we really live like we believe this is true. This verse is such a great reminder to us that we are not the ones causing growth. Um, Isn't it so easy when we start to see some sign of progress in ourselves or our children or in somebody that we've been investing in? We just want to take credit for that, don't we? Pride just creeps in so easily. There's an example of this in C.S. Lewis's novel, The Screwtape Letters. Um, the idea of this book, if you're not familiar, is there's like a, um, a mentor demon and an apprentice demon. And the mentor is writing to the apprentice to try to teach him the sneaky ways of like luring the, the patient. who's was like the human into um, or away from God, rather. Um, so one chapter says this. Your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them, but this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he's really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately pride, pride at his own humility will appear. And doesn't that sound silly, right? We laugh at that, but it can be a reality for us anytime we begin to see progress. We say, by Jove, I'm getting more patient with my children. Or, by Jove, I've read my Bible every day this week. We begin to pat ourselves on the back a little bit. But Philippians 1.6 gives us the antidote to this temptation. God began the work in us. God will complete it. There's no room for boasting. Um, This work that God began in us, while we're talking about verse 6, We're talking about the work of salvation, right? That's the work that God began in us. He accomplished it through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. We were completely lost sinners, helpless. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. We all know this, right? He saved us by grace through faith. So there's no room to boast. We know that the work of salvation isn't our own doing. But somehow, when we think of the next step, when we think of God causing growth and making progress in us... And shaping us into the likeness of his son, we sort of forget that that's still his work. It's all his work. He will complete his work. God causes growth, and he will bring the fruit. The last part of the first section of, jo- of Paul's joyful thanks for past growth, we could sum it up in the phrase, I just love you guys. <laughs> Paul expresses his deep affection for the Philippian church first in verse seven he says it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart Um, and then in verse eight he says it again um, a different way for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus we've already seen that Paul is thankful for the Philippians generosity and how they've supported him in gospel ministry but this is more than that this is personal can you feel that he loves these people He yearns to spend time with them, to eat a meal with them, to laugh with them. He enjoys their company. Now, it's not always a guarantee that we are going to feel that way about every believer we meet, right? Let's just admit that. (laughs) Um, Sometimes we might find ourselves thinking, well, of course I love so-and-so, but I wouldn't really say that I like them very much. Um, I don't think it's just coincidence, though, that Paul feels this way about the Philippians. Um, I ran into an old friend last weekend, a woman from the church that I grew up in. I used to babysit for her kids when I was in high school, and she and her husband led one of our high school youth group camps, so she taught me a lot back when I was like an awkward teenager. Um, And a few years later, she actually was the one who did my premarital counseling and taught me everything I needed to know about not nagging my husband, which (laughs) did not totally stick. (laughs) Um, Over the years, we've seen each other occasionally and we've connected also over both having children with autism. So anyway, last weekend there was this carnival for kids with special needs and there she was. And we were both so excited to see each other. We got right into chatting about what therapies we've done with our kids and what's working and what's not and what's discouraging and just right in the middle of it all, she interrupts me and she goes, I just love you. (laughs) I just like we're there and all these people around. We just wanted to hug each other, you know, Um, Paul's affection for the Philippian believers, just like my sweet friend's affection for me, was the result of years of pouring into them. Right. It didn't just happen. Praying earnestly and repeatedly for them, seeking out ways to intentionally encourage them in the gospel, correcting and admonishing them when they needed it, even when that feels hard and uncomfortable. He feels joy in seeing them grow into mature believers, and this fuels a deep affection and love for them. When we do intentional spiritual good for another believer, we are naturally going to grow in our affection for them. So if we do find ourselves feeling that I love them, but I don't like them feeling, we should probably start by praying for that person, right? Um, And then see where God leads us from there. And if, like Paul, on the other hand, we do find ourselves feeling the love them and the like them feelings, tell them like he does. Tell people how much um, the Lord has grown you in your affection for them, because what an encouragement it is to hear that, right? Doesn't everybody love to hear that? So, having looked back and joyfully thanked Paul, thanked God, sorry, for the Philippians, for their partnership in the gospel, for the work that God has done in them, and Paul knows he's going to complete it, and for his deep affection, he's now going to look forward in a prayer of supplication. Paul has thanked God for the evidence of growth that we've already seen, and now in verses 9 to 11, we see Paul's hopeful prayer for future fruit. Just kind of grab a drink. (laughs) Thank you. So he begins his prayer of supplication this way. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. The first thing Paul prays for is for the Philippians to grow in their love. This is a near constant refrain in Paul's letters. We read the command to love so often that we can almost gloss over it looking for the next point. But why is love so important to Paul? Well, in this case, as we'll find out tomorrow when Miriam tells us about chapter two, the Philippian church seems to be having a problem with their unity and their lack of unity is getting in the way of their uh, effective partnership in the gospel. They need to love each other better and restore that unity. John 13 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, when we love each other, well, we identify ourselves as belonging to Christ. We become a walking advertisement for the gospel. But when we don't love each other well, right, we're not showing people what Christ's love is like. And that's a dangerous thing. And that maybe is what's breaking down a little bit in Philippi. We'll find out more tomorrow. Um, But What does loving each other look like? Paul goes on in the rest of verse 9 and verse 10 to clarify what characterizes the kind of love he's praying for. And it's not what we might expect. He says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So this isn't like a wishy-washy, everybody just be nice to each other kind of love that he's talking about. Um, The love that he's praying for for the Philippians is a love that is grounded in the knowledge of truth. He longs to see their love grow into a mature love, characterized by wise, discerning, living, and counsel for each other. He wants to see them aligning themselves more and more with God's truth, calling excellent what he calls excellent, seeing things more and more the way God sees them. This is what real love looks like, right? Our culture gives us this idea that love is just kind of telling people what they want to hear and being nice to them and don't step on toes and you do you. But, um... That's not the love that the Bible talks about. Um, Last year, Trevor planted three new baby apple trees in our yard. Uh, He ordered them in the mail. And when they arrived, the kids were, everybody was excited to go out in the yard and dig holes and break up dirt and get these things in the ground. And they're, like, tiny. They don't look like apple trees at all. It looks like they took three little sticks and just stuck them in the ground. Um, But he researched how best to care for these apple trees. And this is what he found out. Um, Again, I'm not a gardener, so just... Stay with me. Um, Apparently, to help a young apple tree to grow into a mature fruit-bearing tree, you want the branches perpendicular. They kind of want to grow this way, but you want them this way because that's what mature trees are like. That's the sturdy way for a tree to be. Um, So basically, what you're doing, you you can hang... Uh, weights on the branches, or you can kind of clip them down with clothespins, but you're using the shape of a mature tree as a kind of a pattern or a template that you want the the young tree to grow into. You're kind of telling it like, hey, this is how you want to be shaped if you're going to grow and be strong and bear good fruit. If I got that totally wrong and you know about apple trees, I'm so sorry, but remember, (laughs) not the gardener. Similarly, we need to use the truth of God's word as our template in order to grow in knowledge and discernment. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word shows us everything we need to know about how this life is supposed to be lived. Christ himself was a template for us, right? And as we read God's word, we look at the shape that life is supposed to take and how we are supposed to live together with each other. Um, It's just another way that God causes growth and he will bring the fruit through his word. Um, But even though God is the one who causes the growth through his word, we cannot experience that growth if we aren't in his word, Are we spending time in God's word so that we can grow in knowledge and discernment? This can be such a hard thing to fit in, can't it? Um, I know a lot of us here, like me, are in a stage where we have a lot of little people, needy people. um, And it, it can be a really hard time to dig in and be in the word. Um... Spending time in Scripture has looked different in my life in different seasons. I do usually try to read a little bit in the morning before everybody wakes up, but you moms know that doesn't always go to plan. Sometimes people wake up and you aren't expecting um, emergencies happen. Um, God understands that. So sometimes I end up listening to the Bible on audiobook while I'm waiting for my kids in speech therapy or while I'm doing dishes. Um, sometimes while I'm feeding a baby, I'm reading the Bible. Um, One thing that's useful for me, maybe this is true of a few of us, I like to have external accountability. I I don't do well if I'm just totally left on my own to make my own thing. So I like to sign up for like a scripture reading plan with some people doing it with me so that we can kind of help each other stay on track. Or if you are like me and you need accountability, you could sign up for ladies' Bible study in the fall (laughs) on Monday night or Thursday morning. (laughs) And if you come on Thursday morning... There is coffee and child care. <laughs> so if you need an extra incentive to come and have that accountability, do you know what? Whether you're studying the Bible because you just can't wait to study the Bible every day or because you've got Bible study the next day, God promises us that his word bears fruit. Um, yeah, the wonderful news is no matter how you fit in time in God's word, it will do what it's supposed to do. You can't really get it wrong no matter how or when you're reading the Bible, if it's audio, if it's paper, if it's ebook, it doesn't matter how it goes in. Listen to these wonderful words from Isaiah 55: 10 to 11. "For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty." But it shall accomplish what I, that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. This all page there. Um, God's word always accomplishes what he sends it to do. So don't worry that you're not reading at the right time of day, or that you're not reading the right number of chapters. Um, get in the word. However that looks in your life, get in the word, and God will use it to accomplish his purposes. God is the one who brings the growth and brings the fruit. So Paul has prayed for their love to abound with knowledge and discernment. And now in the rest of verse 10 and verse 11, he gives us the why. He says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul has set his sights on the end goal for these beloved brothers and sisters. This is actually the second time Paul has mentioned the day of Christ. He said it back up in verse 6 too. Maybe his imprisonment and his awareness that he might be coming to the end of his life are making him long for heaven. He's thinking about the end game here. As he prays for his dear friends, he longs to see them remain in Christ and be brought to complete maturity. Maturity is not an overnight process. The apple trees in our yard, remember, down here, are not going to bear any fruit this year. There will not be any apples probably next year, I don't even know, a few years. This is a long game, it's a marathon. Um, But with God's help, someday they will be big, mature trees, and they'll give us delicious apples every year, which is great because apples are so expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Growing in Christ's likeness is a lifelong process for the believer. So if you're still here and Christ hasn't returned yet, then he has not completed his work in you. But praise God, someday he will. In the day of Christ, we will be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. We will be always loving always joyful always patient always all of those things that we so often are not on this side of eternity isn't that an encouraging thought in the day of christ the world itself will also be filled with the fruits of the gospel paul shared the gospel with a small band of women and a jailer from that god brought forth the fruit of a thriving church and that church partnered with him in the gospel and bore even more fruit Don't you want to be part of that partnership? When we come to the day of Christ, how we will rejoice in knowing that God has used our gifts, our giving, our prayers, and our pouring into the lives of others to bring souls to Christ. But are we going to deserve any of the credit for all that fruit? No, because God is the one who causes growth and he will bring the fruit. The fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is verse 11 of our text today, the final verse for tonight. The ultimate goal of our maturity and even of our sharing the gospel is not about us, but about bringing praise and glory to God. He faithfully and lovingly tends us and waters us and prunes us, shaping us into the likeness of his beloved son, so that when we are brought to completion, all the glory and praise belong to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can trust it and lean on it and believe it and grow in it. Thank you for saving us by your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for inviting us to partner with you in the work of sharing the gospel. Thank you for promising to finish the work that you began in us when you saved us. Please bless our time together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.